0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 51st episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, which other Michael do you want to address by Michael? Should it be Hamilton and Fang for the rest of the podcast? Or because if I imagine if I just say Michael for the rest of the podcast, <laughs> it's going to get pretty confusing.
1: I, I, I think Hamilton and Fang works. I might yeah. just say Michael. <laughs> but I don't know.
0: yeah i guess you two can say michael i'm not allowed to say michael though because if because obviously michael's not going to be talking about michael in the third person when you if one of you two say michael right so yeah whatever you prefer i'm cool with anything or to be first person i've confused myself now <laughs> anyways how are you doing michael fang <laughs> uh i'm good
2: it's been a crazy like week and a half i have a. Uh, Dennis and Gordon were staying at my place. Dennis Zang and Gordon Co., both Flesh and Blood players. So, like, it's as if, the, in some ways, the Pro Tour hasn't ended because I still am interacting with guys that flew abroad to play at the Pro Tour. And we recently just booked flights for Dennis to go to Antwerp. So we're all going to go to Antwerp together. So, like, it's, like, it's never-ending, basically. But, um, yeah, it's been a good time, I think. I don't know. Like, I never expected to do as well as I did. And so... Now it's just, like, this cool thing where I get to, like, be on a podcast with you guys. And I yeah. just get kind of a podcast with Blake. And, um yeah, I feel like, like you know, the hot middle school girl.
0: Everyone's, like, texting me. And so it's, a, it's been a different <laughs> world, right? Like, to be fair, you were already a little flesh and blood famous as the guy that went to all the battle You and Brody yeah, I guess, yeah, like the, yeah, as the guys yeah, that go yeah, to all the battle yeah. anyways. And you've had a lot of success on battle hardens. And you won a calling and you have it's finished nice. second in national. So it's not like this is your first big finish in anything.
2: It, yes, that's true. But it is the biggest uh, finish. And it's, and it's like kind of just, I don't know. Like I, when I first won the calling Cincinnati in my interview, like, you know, everyone gets that little article. I said that like, you know, I mainly did this to like get opportunities to compete with integrity and also make connections. But that at the, In the back of my head, I was like really concerned that this would be like a fluke. Like this would be the last time you ever interview me. I'm never going to make top eight again. Um, And a lot of this came from the fact that I played a lot of Magic. I went to, and I did this count because uh, Flake gave me show notes and he was like, what's your origin for trading card games? I actually went to mtgelo.com and I counted, and I went to 17 different Grand prix in the span of four years. And I never top eighted any of them. Same, dude i went to I, I had like a 10-3 and a 10-4 record those were like my two best finishes but i never top eighted and 10-3 and 10-4 i think i think 10-3 was good enough for a top 16 but it wasn't good enough to get a invite to the pro tour i think you needed to 10-2 and so like i never made the magic pro tour i just like was no, a, really a nobody in the magic world even though i committed so much time in it um and so i was so used to like just not just not just not just like, sure, everything yeah. about not um And even before the calling Cincinnati, I had never won an armory event. So like not used to that type of success, but now it's like things have changed. and I really feel like um, a lot of it I can attribute to being able to test with the Wolfpack, obviously, uh, which I know Mike will ask me more about later, but um, all some of it's also just being a little bit more mature, honestly, at this stage of life. Like when I was first playing magic, it was literally at this point, nine years ago, almost a decade ago. And I feel like I've, Gotten
0: better at just being good at things. Kind of I wonder like if you and I have ever played a match of Magic the Gathering against each other. I should go
2: back. Is a way to see? And you, me, and ha- ha- Michael uh, Hamilton have never played Whatever. at a Grand Prix okay which We've is never crazy showed up on them because we elo. all
0: were probably all in the same room multiple yeah. times multiple years in a row
2: i, I kind of stopped playing when michael started playing more when hamilton started playing more because like we, we like you and i actually talked about that once in like a testing game or like we finished gaming and then we were just like reminiscing about magic for like a couple like almost an hour i think i mean we just like yeah. looking at like mtg elo <laughs> so interesting yeah yeah so that's my, my last couple of weeks have been wild uh not by wild just just it's just like a i feel like i'm living on a cloud like it's it's not it's this is not the normal EO or style yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i love how you thought of that too yeah yeah
0: do you what, what's your uh wolfpack based questions though michael you you're on the team so, i'm sure you have a lot to ask uh fang about
1: <laughs> just uh so i i just wanted to ask what how your experience with the testing process went was leading into the pro tour. I remember, um, I think it was Thursday before the pro tour. You were up in (laughs) your room, not, not hanging out, not drafting with everybody, just kind of pondering CC stuff, playing and talking with Brody a little bit. Do you want to talk about your preparation maybe that day a little bit?
2: So obviously I'd been in Spain for quite a bit. Um, I wasn't really able to test, I actually honestly I feel like of all the Wolfpack members I feel like I'm one of the most delinquent I don't know if that makes sense because I suck at waking up in the morning and I and most of the guys test in the morning at least a couple games and um I was before I think before worlds I was waking up making an effort to like test in the morning but I just felt like I wasn't getting much out of it because I was just like making misplays that like my brain just wasn't functioning at like seven, and the crazy, the worst thing is I'm an hour behind or ahead of you guys, so you guys are like type playing at No, like, we're about the EST? Uh, well,
1: I guess most of all, most of all pack central, central. But
2: yeah, yeah, most of central. I just felt like so bad because like it's technically an hour later, and I'm still like I'm not there. Um, <laughs> I guess that Thursday though specifically, uh, I remember. I wasn't that concerned about draft, but it wasn't because i didn't like I felt super prepared. I hadn't really drafted much I, I I think we did like i did one draft I brought all the the product and I did one draft for everyone I don't i honestly for the, my life of me can't even remember what hero I drafted, but I remember just like I just wanted like the familiarity of like opening packs and like passing them and like it didn't really matter to me what hero I drafted I think I just drafted whatever I thought was open um but I felt like draft was like secondary because i was having a crisis that day like i had lexi i had ulton brody had just ulton and i was like i wasn't at peace with what we were going to submit for cc and i wasn't at peace with either playing lexi or playing i just like needed some more clarity and so like brody and i actually went to his room we kicked out his mom his mom was like doing work on her laptop felt bad about that um so sorry brody's mom sorry char and uh we just jammed like i think we only played like two games it was like Oldham lexi and i was playing Oldham. he was playing lexi and i think i actually won both of those games and i was like i'm just i'm not i'm playing Oldham, and i and that was enough for him to be like i think i should just play lexi even though he lost both games i think like he saw like oh i had like the lines to like really juice michael but like both of them were very close like it was you know neck and neck but he didn't have a lexi deck and i it was like well if i don't play lexi I have the Lexi deck, and then that that night we had, that was that happened. I just left all my Lexi cards with him, and I took went home. And uh, I that was actually kind of that wasn't even at nighttime out. That was like kind of early afternoon because I I went straight home after that. I didn't even go to the uh, players meeting. Uh, the I missed like yeah the banquet. Whoops, and I missed um oh, I missed the group. I felt so sad. I, I missed the team picture, team photo with everyone else
1: oh remember?
2: yeah yeah not, you weren't not in, that in that picture
0: that. You i was at in home. her dinner I, picture
2: i went to or leslie's parents home i oh uh, the way this happened was i don't know why but i felt so bad like i didn't really enjoy um, the new the very first players banquet and sure. i remember for pro tour two the players banquet was like it was like really hot yeah that one was mm-hmm. miserable yeah And I never even made it to the world's players banquet. Like I was waiting in line and I just, I was so hungry. We just like went somewhere else and got food. And so I just had like this like negative feeling about players banquets and anxiety. And I was just like, I don't really want to like, like be in this space right now. I just came back from Spain. I'm still under a little bit of jet lag. I'm like pretty sleepy right now. I just wanted to like go home and get rest. But then I felt sad
0: because I missed the the team photo. It's okay. You didn't get psyopsed like I did by the team. So you didn't miss much. What? Oh no. Uh, like, the psy-ops for like the draft or like the, the It's okay. Psy-ops. I just keep giving Nathan shit because Nathan and I kept getting into arguments the whole time. That would yeah, yeah, like yeah. things. But like it's okay. Nathan's wrong, I'm right. But <laughs> I look I, I would in the end.
2: <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's fair. Uh I, I did dodge potential psyops for my own team. So mm-hmm. that's the, the the
0: downsize the team that they don't tell you about. <laughs> um yeah, that's, that's, I don't know if
2: that answered the question.
1: It did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, oh, go ahead, Michael. I guess that's Hamilton. Leading up, <laughs> like, you said you, were, so you said you were in Spain, like, for, you were, you were in Spain for a while before the Pro Tour. Do you think that was why you were kind of like so on the fence about your deck choice at that point? Just like, yeah, I think. Oh,
2: so I was playing. Old him and planned them playing Old him all the way up until the thursday like the week before the pro tour thursday when i was having lunch with like leslie my wife leslie and i was telling her about basically my struggles and it was like like we had done the charts and and tell metastats meta stats and my own testing all showed that lexi was just a force to be reckoned with and Numerically, like very good at outputting a lot of damage, breaking the cost curves of flesh and blood consistently. Um, and with three of a kind, you also didn't get as disrupted. Um, I colloquially called it like having like three husks, that, but you have to draw them. Uh, I didn't say that to Leslie, of course. I just said that was very good and I was very concerned. And talking it through with Leslie, she really was like, I think you should just play Lexi then, because like the worst thing that can happen is you feel that way and then you still play ultim and then you just lose to a bunch of Lexis at the pro tour. Like that's probably the worst timeline that possibly could happen because it's like you're kicking yourself because like you knew this was going to happen. You didn't really prepare for it and you still kind of chose that path. Um, So after I had that conversation, I loaded up some of the Wolfpack Lexi decks and I just started jamming Talishar. I had like an hour and 15 minutes of free time that day. I lost like two games. I lost to an Azuri and I lost to like a katsu. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's okay, we're gonna get better at this, I guess. I never really got much better at it, but I still really wanted to like make it work. Um, and I was just like losing games like left and right. And I could feel like the like any edge that I got from being an experienced flesh and blood player, just like leaving my fingertips. Like there'd be hands would be like, oh, if I just draw three of a kind, I'm gonna win. And if I don't draw three of a kind, and I'm like, right. You have to draw it to play it, and I'm like, I can't. I guess I'm just gonna die. And I and I thought like I thought that Lexi was just like so good, but then once I started playing Lexi, I obviously realized she requires a lot of technical like, you know, you you have a lot of decisions you're making in a lot of games. Um, like I think I was just starting to feel like I could not really do that well, but I was like, I have confidence. I'm gonna keep playing games. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it to the Pro Tour on Thursday, and I'll have like an entire Thursday to test and um i just i don't know i i didn't put in the games and i didn't feel the confidence even though numerically i felt like lexi was the deck to play um and so like that day when i was playing with brody it really helped me just like i was like i feel like the amount of comfort i felt transitioning back from lexi to ulton was like exponential like i was like i feel like i could like play one eye uh like one hand like like you could give me all these handicaps and I'd feel more
0: comfortable playing Ultim than playing Lexi, so. Gotcha. Well, and I guess what was also interesting is that the the team had like an Anathos-based old-time deck that I think most of the old-time <laughs> players on the team took, Yeah. but you rebelled against the Anathos um, uh, dream and decided to stick with Mopi old Wail and Shields. Do you want to talk about that decision though?
2: Yeah, Whale and Sledge. I think, okay, so.
0: Hey, uh, we don't have Whale I'll this yeah sure, sorry yeah. Titans, titan's fist, fist like, yeah, i wish she wish, had, had whale yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah titan's fist the bad ones
2: uh, our team we have so for those that know i don't know if you've ever mentioned this in other podcast episodes but we have like me and jonathan magnuson j mag are like kind of like the two uh, before we got like all of the other midwest oldums i'm kind of clumping them together uh ben ryan rich whole crew uh it was just like me. Mainly, I felt like it was me and J Mag talking talkin old him, but he and I are like literally like opposite ends of the spectrum. But there's like a consistency old him, but like very boring. And then, like, channel Mount heroic, snap, dragon scalers to them over. Earth
0: bounty. <laughs> yeah. Earth or bounty, like,
2: <laughs> you know, coma harvest, heva pulverize, and then go, uh, the Earth or surge, Earth or surge, like, <laughs> pulverize. Like, like, we were like, Super different with the way we think about Ultim as a hero. But we were starting to coalesce. Like, the Anathos build was starting to look more and more like some of the consistent, a lot of three block, less fluff, like, very consistent, like, trying to hit that magic 13 or 14 um, damage delta per hand. And I was getting seduced. Like, I was like, this deck looks so good. Um, but he didn't want to play the Lagmite and that was just it was like i, I couldn't not place the lag mate. i think like i think ultimately the deck that i took the pro tour with one of the things i've been saying to people is i feel like i designed it so that it had about a 48 percent win rate into everybody but like it did not sound like good into many heroes but that's like the that's like how i felt comfortable with it like i knew that like Every single game was going to be a grind. I didn't feel like I particularly was tech for any single certain hero, but I felt like I had, like I had one red choke slam. I guess a deck set of red choke slams really good. If we draw it. We're we're gonna we're holding on to it of our dear life. Um, I I was like that. This is the the type of deck that I feel comfortable playing, and I was going to play it. And um, I also wanted to play Channel League Frigid. Uh, very often if I ever won a game against Lexi, I had a few things that I kind of really wanted to do. And one of them was play a channel channeling frigid and literally that channel channeling frigid just like somehow turned into like a wounded bull of value, like a two card eight or nine, basically if my Lexi opponent is forced to like literally pitch like three cards to shoot one arrow, it's like so good. Um, and I just like, I couldn't play Channel channeling frigid with Anathos. So I had to make decisions, and I ended up just choosing to play Sledge and Titan's Fist, and I had the hand, the shield. and I think that like uh, it's not that you can't play the shields with Anathos, it's just like J Mag's build didn't have it. And I knew that some of the guys were, you know, kind of on it. And I just felt like actually Dave, who ended up topping the the calling, just took J Mag's build and just like here, let me just put a stalagmite and a Titan's Fist in it, and it was great. So like maybe I could have done that as well. But uh I, I don't know I, I had some decisions I wanted to, and I just was like this is this is just the world I'm gonna live in. I didn't feel like it was that much that good in the mirror, for example.
0: yeah, the I was about so. to say that Anathos Fanbrace Tech was specifically there to like and we put in a lot of work and felt most confident like two weeks before like when we thought old him was just gonna be like the best deck most play deck and then it was just that, mad rush that every single player had in like the week before the pro tour, like, Oh no, Lexi's the best deck. I don't like, what do I do? And, uh, I, I started pivoting to like a different hero a day for a while. Uh, and then I kind of just fell back on old as the comfort pick that I had been testing the most throughout previously. So I I ended up in a similar spot. I just was on the Anathos deck that I've been playing the bunches as as opposed to like the more traditional builds. Yeah.
2: I think I, the way that I designed my deck ended up helping me so much because, like, I played against Reinard, Dash, Katsu, Dorinthia. I also played against three Lexis, but, like, I played against all these heroes where, like, Ice React, Salagmite, like, all the classic ultim things was, like, actually quite good against. And um, I, I, like, came to this conclusion of this type of ultim build by playing in the Battle Harden circuit because last year I played in a bunch of Battle Hardens I never lost in mirror. I never lost basically against an Icelander or like any of the meta decks. I never lost against like a five. I, I did lose against one five once and he Dan ended up winning that that 10k. Um but like I no, I lost a five twice. What am I saying? I, I lost very rarely to like the meta decks, but I crushingly, humiliatingly, humbly lost to Azalea with Ultim. I figured out how to do it. Uh, I lost to Dorinthia. I lost to Akatsu. Like, I lost against all these heroes that, like, I didn't really test against. I didn't really attack against. And I just, like, didn't feel like I had a good plan against. Um, And I felt like the way I designed my deck was, like, it is just a little bit more generically, kind of like, just trying to do very generic things. Like, it's not trying to, like, I don't know, like, really, like, crush my opponent and really disrupt my opponent. It has a lot more just vanilla, like, trying to play efficient flesh and blood. Um, And I felt like, I mean, I think that's, like, one of the ways you beat like Doranthia, Katsu, all these like random decks because like your disruption is kind of wacky. Like like if you use Spinal Crush at Doranthia, they could literally take it all and just go like Dawnblade and just like heap like nine plus nine or 12 attack reactions of power on it. Um, so I don't know, like that's why I ended up deciding to build the deck I wanted to build. And I don't know if I would do it if I had the choice of playing the Pro Tour again if I had a lot more time to test uh, Lexi. Um, but it
0: obviously it did work out for me. That's fair. Are we all just on the same page that Lexi's is still just the best deck now? <sighs> uh.
1: <laughs>
0: what do you think about Hamilton?
1: Oh, I, I think Lexi's definitely the deck to beat. I think both like yeah. it's... Even though it didn't win the Pro Tour, even though it didn't even make the finals the Pro Tour, there were four in the top eight, there were seven in the top sixteen. I think there were sixteen in the top thirty-two, which is kind of kind of crazy. And And then and it had a fifty seven percent win
0: rate in the pro tour. Like (laughs) I mean, like on paper, the deck was like ridiculous in its performance. And I think like just because it just underperformed in top eight, people are just like, Oh yeah, the format's fine. Like three matches didn't go in Lexi's favor. Clearly that's like (laughs) It was roughly
2: 50% of every single top cut. So top eight was four, top 16, there was seven, top 32, there was 16, and top 64, there was 28.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, So so it fell a little
1: short of that top 64, but it's half the top 64. But for being like, it was like 27% of the field or something. How much was like, I don't know how much it was. It was less than a quarter of of the field.
0: Yeah. And then over 50% of all the top cuts. So I mean like in that sense it overperform. but like I just said, and like it 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 like I think Andrew got incredibly lucky, unlucky, uh and Mara played incredibly well in that matchup. And I think Brody, uh, we just did that on Manor University, that'll be out this week. Uh, covering that game, Brody kind of made some weird decisions in some spots and kind of let Mara get some extra equity, especially out of like the skull cap, because he basically went, he just blocked in a weird way that allowed Mara to stay lower than him. So she had an extra block out of skull cap, where if he just didn't make a block, he, he, she just doesn't get that uh, skull cap value. And I think with like one of the weird things about flesh and blood or just card games in general is just how much like everybody just focuses in on like the finals or like who wins a tournament. And I think sometimes just like the overall performance of it, that kind of gets lost in the shuffle.
2: Yeah. I uh, do you think that like maybe the public zeitgeist is like focusing a little bit more on the finals, but I do, I bet that like all the other teams and a lot of the players who are, you know, gunning for Antwerp, Singapore, Birmingham, they're very aware of how good Lexi is. Um, I, I I am I was super surprised leading up to the Pro Tour that Lexi wasn't being talked about as much as I thought it was. She was supposed to be talked about, kind of like publicly from a
0: lot of the people. It was like a weird secret that everyone knew. I feel like <laughs> what was going on. Like I'm not playing Lexi. Lexi's unplayable, but secretly everybody knew Lexi yeah. was broken, but they just didn't want to say it in case somebody didn't know. I don't. Know. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that it made sense too. Think thinking
2: back because like. Maybe a lot of teams kind of had been brewing this really good Lexi build, um, and they didn't want to really like tell people. But then the, then there was like Matt McInnes who like you know juiced both Charles and I think Pat in the in the Swiss of uh, Battle Hard in Richmond went like undefeated in the Swiss and was just like telling people left and right Lexi is broken, Lexi is so good, and I was like, yeah, this is what I was expecting to see on tweet like on Twitter and like like mm-hmm. online um but i wasn't seeing it and obviously since our own team had some guys who were playing lexi and believed in lexi and i truly believed in it too i didn't want to also just like lexi is so broken guys it's unfair (laughs) but you know it was just curious i I was like where is the like when olden was like doing super well i felt like everyone was like you know trashing us but lexi was like no one said anything but you know
0: yeah bygones are
2: bygones i think that like um, the funniest poll, and I, and I saw that you commented on it. Was like Flake did a tweet just like today. I think it was like, who do you think is like the most unfair, most broken, most overtuned hero? And of course, everyone votes for old. Too. Yeah. So and like, for context,
0: uh, it was like right now in classic
2: construct. Yeah, right this moment, without any of the cards that got banned.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Uh, people really... I think it's just because like, there's the precedence of Old Him doing so well. So people are just like, oh, of course, Old Him won a pro tour, obviously. But they're not taking into account that, the fact that like, yeah, you're yeah, literally yeah. an Old Him master. And uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty well demonstrated at this point. And right. especially well demonstrated was a near Dromai quarterfinals? Semi, semif- semis- semifinals. And, and, and- that match was insane i thought about where michael and i talked about or doing it on university and we were like hmm well, we <laughs> three-hour like, game might be a bit much. but i remember seeing you you were coming out of the bathroom and i just was like you looked exhausted i was just like give me a hug buddy and then you were just like <laughs> dude <laughs> i just i i didn't even realize how much time had passed actually because i had
2: spoken to zach and dave right before and they were both in David was on a winning end, and Zach was like, I'm pretty sure I'm locked for the top eight, the calling. This is mm-hmm. before my semis, by the way. And then afterwards I'm like, I would go to them I'm like, did you guys make the top eight? And, and Zach's like, dude, I already lost in the semi. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
0: Oh shoot. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? um, <laughs> 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 it's like you were uh, a theory of relativity or whatever, when you're just yeah, going I was, like, in a, a hyperbolic different... chamber. I was yeah, like yeah, Captain yeah.
2: America. Yeah. I took a nap mm-hmm. and just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs>
0: That was uh, some game. There were some. There were some points in that game where I was just like, "Oh, he's totally gonna win." And there were other points in the game where I was like, "Oh, there's no way he's ever gonna win this game again." And I was just like, "It was just a
2: wild." I game. went through those cycles too. <laughs> I know exactly those points. Probably there's, and the best part is it kept flip flopping. Like mm-hmm, it, it wasn't did. just
0: always one narrative. Absolutely. Uh, so, Michael Hamilton, uh, you played Lexi in the pro tour, so um what do you think about just like the deck need to adapt at all do you think it's been solved or do you think it could be like tuned more for like the road to nationals or or uh antwerp or anything like that like or is it just like this is what we have now
1: so i was really happy with our build that we took i think i would do some more tests with different builds of it because we were on basically we played art of war over premeditate and like there are a lot of like changes you have to make to the list because you're doing that and then you you have to cut art of war when you're boarding in all of your ice cards so we played art of war plus the ice package which in some spots led to some awkward situations where like against droma you can't play poppers art of war and ice cards you have to like decide what you want to do because you can't play all that stuff and still have a functional deck i'm kind of interested in testing with different versions of lexi with like more codexes more or going to premeditate over art of war and some other stuff that we just really didn't try. Like, I don't think anyone played a game with Hamstring Shot in their deck leading up into the pro tour. And I think um, there is a lot of other stuff going on in Lexi and I don't think it's, I don't think it's solved. And especially like knowing however people go to attack Lexi, you need to adjust your deck to fight that kind of stuff and seeing how people go to attack it will inform a lot of the decisions in terms of how you build the deck to fight this stuff. So I think, well, I think Lexi is the best deck and I think it probably will be until either bans happen or Dust Till Dawn and I don't think there's going to be bans until after Dust Till Dawn. I think that depending on how other decks attack it, there will definitely be times where these decks have positive matchups into builds of Lexi and if the Lexis aren't ready or adjusted, they'll have a rough matchup there. And I think I think that's it. <laughs> but that's fair. Lexi's very strong. Oh, Last thing about that. I also switched to Lexi like four or five days before the pro tour. So I did basically zero testing in terms of figuring out the deck. And I was just like trying to get up to speed on playing the deck. I'm like, I'm taking Brody's list. I'm just going to try to learn it as well as I can. Because I have five days and some of that's travel time.
0: Do you think old him solved uh, Michael Fang? Do you think, are you just going to run back to your exact same 80 in in Antwerp? I think that like,
2: I'm gonna first give you some context as to one of the reasons why I think Lexi is powerful, mm. um, and and why Oldham is powerful. Um, is it okay if I te- to go on a tangent? It's like a three minute it, tangent, man. At least. I okay. ask you, you the question. you can show. answer However you like. So so I'm gonna answer the question. Well, it's our show. He's the guest, solved? Though. Uh, and I and the answer is no. I don't think it's solved. I don't think he's solved. Um, I don't think the wiggle room is that big. But I don't think he's solved. And I think there's a lot of like eight cards at least that you can customize. Even if like my list, you can probably, there's like 14 cards that I think like you could change and you could have like better matchups to certain heroes. Uh, but my tangent is um, there was this thing called the, uh, what was it called? The, the Fab Team Cup um, uh, a few months ago. Michael was in it. You were representing, like, you were with like your Indianapolis guys, I think. I was with the Runaways. We were just kind of like all free agents. The Wolfpack didn't participate formally as a team. Um, And I played Ultim every single time. And the cool thing is, like, due to scheduling, I I often was, like, one of the last rounds to play. And um, everyone on your team for that week, you have a five-person roster. Everyone has to pick a hero, but it's unique heroes. So, like, you know, it's going to be five different heroes. And you can, like, kind of tell, like, what hero someone's going to play by, like, their past history of what they used to play for the other weeks. And also, like, um, by kind of, like, just scheduling, like, if you're the last couple of rounds, like, you kind of know, like, oh, Dash has already been taken, Eisen has already been taken, Ultim's already going to take it, this guy's probably going to play Briar. Like, there was, like, that kind of minigame. And I beat Dash, like, three times in three different weeks, because by the time it was me, it was, like, most likely I'm playing against Dash, and I just, like, built these wacky decks. I built a deck that didn't even have Rampart. I had Stalagmite, I played Crown of Providence, I played Mage Master Boots with Toma Feindel, and I just played, like, this, like, very heavy mid-range like value every single turn type of deck into uh dash i played against an icelander i built a deck that had 15 ice cards 15 earth cards three oak Artivore, art of war and i literally Oakenold fused like four times that game and i beat the icelander and it was like a bull as well um, um what i'm saying is if ultim and or lexi know exactly what they're going to play against you can build a deck that i think changes your win rate to like 60 to 70 percent um and the reason why this is possible and there's this is cool chart if you go to february.net uh why did i say dot net anyways if you go to stats there's three different tables one is called the most played table which is just what do people play one is called the meta result oh, sorry it's the, the most played decks one is called meta results which has like Kind of it's that place where you can filter by May and see that Lexi's been winning like 57 or 58% of the time. And then the last hat is called card distribution. And if you click view cards by hero, you'll see that like Ultim has 226 like cards available to him. I'm not sure if that includes Pulse or doesn't, but like that shouldn't matter too much. And for the longest time Ultim's number was the biggest number. No other hero had as many cards available to them as Ultim. Technically Briar and Lexi should have been the same, but since Ball Lightning was banned, they were like down a few cards. They were like off by like a little bit. But right now, Lexi has 280 available. To put things in perspective, where is where is Dash? Dash oh, has no, 94.
0: doll <laughs> like, has 92. Yeah, is
2: even less, yeah. <laughs> but Dash has 94, and Dash is able to win callings. Which, you know, tells you the power of kind of like the whole pistol package and yeah, yada yada. But like Lexi has almost tripled the card pool as Dash and the type of builds, the variations, the available tools, like like to say that Lexi is solved would be insane. Because like even if you have the perfect Lexi deck for certain matchups, like you you have like almost like this huge Swiss, Swiss army knife in terms of flexibility of building your Lexi deck. That I imagine, very few teams will have the same Lexi builds, even if they're like really certain that their like Lexi decks are really good, just because there's so much variability. And I think that's like one of the powers and strengths of Lexi, not only numerically, like really a lot of having a lot of power of Rain Razor, three of a kind, um, premeditates, obviously statistically really good, Codex of frailty, just like nuts. But you have like all this variety of like cards that you can also play. And I think that for the longest time, Ultim was in that spot. And I thought that was really good. But now I think that spot is cleanly taken over by Lexi. And that's just from like a cards, win rate percentage. Like if you actually start playing the games, you will feel that way too. But be, with so much options comes like sometimes this like, you know, having having too many options almost like incapacitates you. Like it's like analysis paralysis. Um and now back to the question you asked, do, do I think Ultimate solved? I don't think Ultimate is solved. I think that uh, there are a lot of angles you can take Ultimate You can try to improve the Lexi matchup. People have been throwing around um, buckle and buckling blow. That is definitely something that's very devastating for Alexi if they lo- if she loses her new horizon. Um, Anathos and Van Brace is kind of this like newer tech that was also very well kept secret. Um, it felt like when i was at the uh, at the pro tour and at the calling so many Ultims were on and at brace especially like people that had any semblance of a relationship with any any of the major teams um, and i feel like there's like still some room to grow but like the oldim card pool is just not as uh, didn't get as much
0: love i guess from outsiders and so we're not going to see much evolution so okay and a uh, fun fact, uh, the Emperor has more playable cards than Dash. The Emperor has 104.
2: <laughs> I think everyone just has more cards than Dash. It's crazy. Um,
0: even, even the
2: Assassins have more cards. I think even before Outsiders, they had more cards available than Dash. To put things in perspective.
0: Yeah, but uh, Dash still has more action points than I think the than the Assassins could ever hope to dream to have. So there you go. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And I think the one thing that I might push back on that answer, though, is that like, yeah, there are a lot of different ways to build Lexi, but I feel like when you're trying to do something that's like hyper proactive, it's a lot different than trying to build something that's reactive, right? So like when you're trying to answer specific threads, it makes sense why you need different, you know. Configurations like whether you want like nine staunch responses or you just want to play really aggressive old times or the mid range or hard fatigue, like different configurations of those answers to the meta are a lot more varied. But as far as like if you're just trying to do something like proactive and like kill your opponent by just doing as much damage as possible and just being super efficient, I feel like that range is a lot more narrow. So, sure, like I maybe some people will try to go back to like. Classic fuse ice Lexi, but I don't know if that deck is like could ever even be like normal, like light ice fuseless Lexi that people have been playing right now. But I don't know,
1: yeah, it's kind of interesting in terms of Lexi because, like, well, Lexi is an aggressive deck and is trying to do as much damage as possible once you get to like the last like 15 to 20 slots of your deck, after you get like the most efficient arrows, all the bulletin shots, all the the red on hits that deal more damage, like infecting shot and remorses and heat seeker and endless arrow, and searing shot and even drill shot. That's in basically a relaxy deck. Once you get to the last like 10 to 20 card slots, you're basically kind of forced to pick some kind of disruption effect because you need more arrows because you need your arrow count to be high.
0: Because you have the damage already, like your arrows are already like your threatening damage effects.
1: Yeah, and there's just no more arrows that give you more damage. They're just like the same rate, but they they have yeah. some disruptive sure. effect on them. So you have to decide which ones are like yeah. the best for the specific meta game.
2: I think even remorseless actually was an arrow that not all of the Pro Tour people that shared their deck list played to put things in perspective. But yeah, like fatigue shot, hamstring shot, these are like you know this is disruption that you're playing a proactive game plan, but I mean, that's kind of the, the ranger class in general. Like she doesn't have armor. She doesn't really want to block. She just wants her arrows to make you not be able to do things or ideally, you know, hamper your, your, your turn so that she can go back to shooting you with more arrows. Um, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't make sense though. Like, right. Like I think that even if the Lexi deck isn't solved, the, the Lexi game plan is pretty straightforward. It's not going to change that much. Like, the only real changes are like maybe if you play a, a few more non-attack actions like some of the codexes or the laces or um, premeditate so that you can set up these six card hands a little bit more comfortably, um, not have the pitch stack a little bit as much or as much. Um, but a, the game plan of load an arrow, of go again, shoot it, load an arrow, go again, shoot it, shoot an arrow from arsenal. Maybe have a ponder token from some f- for free because your cards are great and <laughs> keep doing it again. like that, And that's, why not? Oh, really? I mean that's like that, that game plan's probably not changing. Um mm. and I think that the old imp- overall game plan isn't changing too much. Like there's gonna be more mid-rangey, more fatiguey, um, uh, but most of it is like kind of value-driven bias towards defensive, because you don't really have that many good offensive options and just kinda like grind people out. Like I think that that overall archetype isn't gonna change too much, but I do think I am gonna be so excited to see Ultims that have figured out how to beat Lexi kind of consistently or have a cool tech or whatever. Whatever it is. You, you think that deck I, exists? It could be a unicorn. It could be it could be like, you know, just the leprechaun that we're never gonna find. But you know, I think that the only good thing about Ultim is that at this point he is the second deepest card pool and you do have cool things that you can play. I, I think that, you know, maybe playing Mangle with Buckling Blow is going overboard, but I think that, like, you know, that's something that I would not be surprised some people come to terms with, like, or come to Antwerp at least with like some type of tech like that. Um, the The only downside of having these diverse card pools is you are forced to make decisions because, like, when you play Dash, you don't really have to make decisions. Your the deck is just. It's like, I, I remember when I was building that he just typed in boost on february.net and I just started clicking. Um, done. And then the deck was almost <laughs> done. So, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, more choices gives you more opportunities and to make decisions and more decisions gives you more opportunities to, to make the correct decisions, ideally. And then you can feel rewarded when those decisions are great and, and a learning opportunity when they're not. So, that's okay. fair.
0: Oh man! Uh,
1: <laughs> Sorry, I was, I
0: was <laughs> looking at the card pool wheel. Yeah, of, like, yeah. it's so a cool pl- chart. I'm, I'm so blown away by this. Look at that! Just for, I didn't know it was here.
2: Yeah, I love looking at all the February stats. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Um, I think I mentioned this actually, this dynamic in the Wolfpack Discord. But I
0: I've, I've heard really you talk like, about like, it, and Wolfpack. I know I've heard the dash has the lowest card pool spiel. Yeah, again. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but it was cool, like actually pulling it up now. So yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, Old him, super close to living legend now. Do you think he'll Living Legend uh after you win Antwerp and the road to net season? I think that he will Living Legend,
2: um, because based off of the numbers, it seems like Old Him is like basically the second most played, even though second most played usually like almost like half of the Lexi representation. But given that I expect there to be about three hundred RTNs and each RTN will Well, okay. There's gonna be about three hundred RTNs and I think my hope is about half of them will be CC and the other half will be draft. And I think if old I mean, he's at the point, right? He's at eight, eight, eight. So he needs what? uh, 56 rate right? more RTNs. I don't think I wouldn't, I would be surprised if he are, if he doesn't win any of the callings and still living legends just based off the RTN season, but there's the RTN season. And then we have, um, there's whatever. some battle hardens
0: too. Right.
2: Yeah. 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 I, Shoot, there is no more Pro
0: Quest season this year because there's no Pro Tour. Yeah, until next year. Hmm. In the future, Michael and I will talk about how interesting it could it'll be next year uh, with the second Pro Quest season coming around and that L- Heroes a Living Legend uh, faster yeah, next year. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Actually, I I don't actually expect him to Living Legend if he doesn't win any of the callings because the Battle heart is only ten points, and I I really only think that he's going to win about like. Twenty rtns at max mm. so that's yeah. 56
1: out of 56 out of 150 seems yeah, like a big so, ass.
2: Yeah. yeah i do think like for example like briar is just like is she ever gonna like you know like is it is this gonna be the season because like i there's not that many people playing briar and i think that would be the saddest way to live in legend for whatever it's worth just like coasting from like 996 just to like
0: just like you just know, some place. random person in Poland yeah. wins their road to Nats. With, yeah, yeah. Not to knock on Poland. It was just the first country that yeah. came into mind, but like, still.
2: Um, but yeah, now not that I think about it, since there isn't a Pro Quest season, I, I I don't expect Ultimate to Living Legend. Uh, obviously, if I win a calling with it, I will be ecstatic because that means I won a calling. I won't even care that Ultimate Living Legend... At, at a certain point, I've already come to terms after I won the, the Pro Tour that, first of all, that is probably... I'm very unlikely ever gonna happen again and second of all like ultim is so close now like like he did not feel close at all obviously when he was at 680 um but now it's just like in my head it's like i'm already one foot out the door like i kind of you gotta emotionally
0: prepare yourself you can't just let this thing are you getting your EOR you, uh altars done on bravo next or uh... <laughs> <laughs> i
2: i don't know i i have played some i actually at a certain point for richmond at least for battlehard richmond because i wanted to because at that point we already had the Brace in the deck and i was like like we're like me dave we're trying to decide if we want to bring Brace. and then out of respect for John we like didn't bring Brace. i was thinking about playing or bravo for that because i also didn't want to play like what i was probably going to play for the pro tour but in hindsight it's so silly because like who cares it's all my deck wasn't very good anyway (laughs) like yeah (laughs) was like whatever um but uh i did test a bunch of bravo that time and i think bravo is actually quite good in in this current meta actually like no psyops just like he's a solid hero um you have the same old issues with bravo which is like consistency you don't have kind of seeds kind of smooth some of that consistency um you're not usually playing tunic and so you don't have like that kind of like that little like the little tunic plays that are like really powerful in um uh ultim but you do have like crippling crush which is very good um i think honestly if we like i think i said this in the little fact chat but like if you could just play bravo and have stalagmite like I have no crown of seeds like crown of seeds is too good broken whatever but if we could have stalagmites, you you could get me in there i could see myself being a bravo gamer there's some matchups I just really want a stalagmite. And like I feel like it's become a crutch for me over the over the last few months playing Ultim so much. Like I'm always, like I'm I've seen some Ultim lists that don't have stalagmite, and I'm like I can't I can't live like that. I wanna be able to beat Katsu and and, and I wanna be able to beat Rynar and, and and
0: Fi and like have like a nice little stalagmite to block. I'd be fine the Pro Tour with Anathos Ultim and no stalagmite. It's doable. I
2: know, but it's just those, those matchups where you just really want that frostbite. And, and it's so cool because like a skill testing card Or sometimes like you 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 block with it and it became a steel braid buckler and sometimes you lock with it and it becomes a husk.
0: Yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh it was actually a piece of advice that uh, you gave to me, like when I was testing like Bravo and Iceland, uh, Icelander that oh, kind of yeah, translated yeah. over. Where it's just like, just pretend their cards don't exist. Like there's no frostbites, <laughs> there's no disruption. <laughs> yeah. They're actually not going to do anything on their turn. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. attack them and just hope yeah. for the best. And that's and I've beaten like a dash that way. I've yeah, beaten. Yeah. Uh, I, that's how I beat Fi. I was just like, yeah, yeah you're gonna. Here's my Anathos yep. tear under and Hope it's good enough to disrupt him. And I, I got yeah. so. You
2: got to make some of those risks when you're playing bravo to turn the corner because well I was on olden but yeah same so same, oh, okay sure. same same you were on Anathos. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah yeah, you just have to make some of those risks because I don't know every other deck is so good at dealing damage and olden's just kind of like we're struggling <laughs> here
0: um I'm a scrappy old man over here yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you actually won your first calling on oldham Michael Hamilton do you like miss him at all like do <laughs> you know?
1: Maybe not uh, what he's become. So, I really loved playing mid range oldham that relied heavily on attacking with winners well, threatening the frostbite. Where you'd spend most turn cycles, you would spend three cards defensively and pitch an ice card to attack with winners well. Defensively being like playing defense reactions, just blocking for three or ice reacting something like that, and then attack with winners well Just put these aggro decks in like the constant question of like, are you going to block this whale? Or are you going to get the frostbite? Or are you going to just play a turn through or an extra frostbite? And that was like. I really enjoyed that even before we had Slagmite like at Orlando when I won the calling with Oldheim I just had Rampart and it was fine I I think Slagmite is obviously very very powerful and I think that it was a huge improvement to Oldheim to get access to that shield but even before then I still just loved three cards defense attack with Winter's Whale threatening a Frostbite and that was like the baseline turn for Oldheim. how i like to play him into a lot of the aggro decks like briar and Fi and decks like that and once they banned whale i was like you can't play Oldheim that way anymore blocking with three cards and attacking with your hammer uh they're just going to take it they're going to outrace you they're going to be more efficient than that then you can be using three cards on defense one card on offense and that kind of plan doesn't really take Advantage of Oldheim's threat of fatigue very well because again, like you have a you have a better weapon, you're more or you're better at fatiguing. But I think like I guess I kind of mourned losing Oldheim when they banned Whale because I basically was like Oldheim's never going to be the deck that I enjoyed playing that I loved because Whale was such a big part of that. So I guess hopefully that answers your question. Sure,
0: yeah.
2: I, I think it's actually kind of funny because, um, Michael, you played a lot of uh, Ice Center when Phi was like top tier. And when I was playing Ultimate at that time, Whale had already like, like into Phi, especially if they play, presented Tunic, like it was already like not doing the trick. Like you couldn't block three cards and just Icy Whale a Fi because sometimes they could play like they could just do a starter, pitching a blue weapon another starter that like both cost zero and then like grab a phoenix flame and just lava burst you like, like just play through the frostbite and out damage you like this was especially already with happening yeah especially like with, with the little minimalism they just like laugh at your frostbite and at your potential ice react it was just like so bad um like decks like i remember when i was playing into Fies, i was already like if i have if my best play is icy hammer i am probably losing like, that dynamic had already kind of, like, shifted before Winter's Whale was banned. Winter's Whale was really good into Briar and Lexi, of course. But into, like, Phi, the premier aggro deck at the time, it just, like, wasn't cutting it. Because, like, the Phi decks were already, like, expecting the Frostbite from Icelander to an extent. And, like, being able to play around a Frostbite was just, like, a core of what made Phi just, like, such a good aggro deck. And one of the reasons why I felt like so many people were playing Fi. And so when Whale was banned, I was sad. But kind of deep down, I was like, it, so many of my matchups don't change that much. It's just the fact that I can't put these ice cards in my deck. Because, like, Oak and Old was already, like, like in, so hard to, like, fuse and, like, kind of, like, one foot out the door. And then when we lost all the ice cards, we lost the ability to ch- channel, like, Frigid in the second cycle. It made, like, Dash actually so much harder. And, like, I think that dash was actually one of the biggest winners of that ban because the hypothermia was gone um dash couldn't get a- aggroed by belittle and which whale wasn't a threat for dash but the ice cards on the second cycle keeping channel Fridge around uh the threat of playing uh gets even like an ultim could play hypothermia by a turn um and also blizzard wasn't being seen as much in deck so like because like back in the day when you're playing dash you got all the pistols you have to like play around ice react and blizzard now you can just like play around ice react and um like i'm not surprised that dash is one two callings and i think that's one of the things that like doesn't get said as much and i think ah as an olden player it's like one of the most depressing things to think about is just like it was such a subtle like like so many like narrow things happen to make dash so much better into that matchup and no one talks about it and it's fine. We're just gonna lose. We're just gonna get shot down to death by the bazookas.
1: It's weird because, like, on the surface, like whale wasn't actually that important to dash because most of the time, if you were swinging with whale, you were probably mm-hmm. losing. Yep. But yep. like all the ice cards that supported whale were mm-hmm. all actually very good against dash. You know, like frigid, blizzard, mm-hmm. ice react, mm-hmm. hypothermia. That that makes a lot of sense. And actually, I yeah, think so,
2: like, sorry, go ahead. Oh.
1: I was just gonna say you were right. You kind of talked about how I was. I had switched to ice liner at that point, so I didn't really appreciate all that the whale band actually meant for old time i it was, it was not what i expected i guess
2: but go ahead yeah, yeah, yeah no i just thought it was a funny perspective and i think I, I i remember i listened to your podcast after the whale band and you guys were like old unplayable basically we and said like, d tier well, we didn't put him in f tier we said <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> i was like well this is just a hero i've been playing at every single elo event of the year so far yeah um so, oh, sure, was we have some oh, hot
0: takes sometimes you know
2: actually one of the things that i thought was kind of interesting is um because i had locals that were playing dromai at the time and i was actually losing to them with whale um i lose to my locals all the time so it's not that impressive i guess um but i actually told them that day when because winter's whale was banned while i was at an arbory with winter's whale so <laughs> it was a little sad um but we were playing we had just played actually and i had just lost actually Funnily enough, and I told him that, like, I think Ultim's going to have more poppers now moving forward, because what, I, what are we going to replace these blo- ice block twos with? It We're probably just going to put these, like, we're just going to take some of the Bravo six costs or four costs sixes. And, like, I, I can imagine Ultim's popper count, which at that time was, like, resting at a 24, 25 is, like, what you expected from Ultim's. I could see it being 33. I could easily see it cross 34. And that ended up happening. And I think, I think ironically, that ban made Dromai worse. And I think we're still seeing the repercussions of that. Because at that time, like, Bravo was the only hero that really could reliably just pop, 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 pop. So interesting food for thought.
0: Yeah. And now it's not uncommon for Oldham to have more poppers in his deck than Bravo because he has access to cards like Mulch and Blue Glacial, where Bravo does, doesn't have access to those.
1: Okay. All right. So you kind of talked about it there and I've got this last question for you before I think was about about time to wrap things up, but you kind of talked about going to your armory, losing a lot at your armory, spending a lot of time there. And I know before the show, you talked about wanting to kind of like encourage yeah. people to go to their armories. I just wanted to give you a chance Thank to you. talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. My little bully pulpit. I, I, um, commits Michael Hamilton to go to his local armory. <laughs> Do it. I, I, I don't like want to, people do anything that they don't feel comfortable doing but i I just want to make the case for why i think armory attendance is is really nice and i think maybe i'm not covering all the bases but um I, i think that like for starters like we all we're literally doing a podcast talking about flesh and blood and i think we all are passionate about this game to some extent and i think like i know that going to armories for most people is not convenient or there's sacrifices that have to be made um it's most likely not good value. Even if you're Michael Hamilton and you, like, win the thing, like, the gas, the time, the entry fees, like, getting a little cold. Like, it's maybe it's not good value, but I want to make the case that it's a good use of your time if you truly believe in the game and you want it to succeed. And I think uh, I have, like, multiple reasons. One of the reasons is one of the coolest ways to grow Flesh and Blood is literally other people seeing you play Flesh and Blood in person, at the store, in the flesh buy Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. Someone's buying Pokemon. Someone's buying Magic, and they're just like, "Hey, what do they do? What, what game are they playing?" And like that conversation might not turn them into a flesh and blood player. In fact, the next five times they watch you play might not tr- turn them into a flesh and blood player. But it's like this constant, like you're—it's present. It's in their mind space, and like, like them making that leap usually comes at like repeated interactions. But those interactions kind of have to happen. And then another reason is. I think that there's a certain type of mass like that you have to get for armies to really thrive and it really requires there to be like four to five people who are just willing to keep going even if it's like either it's not firing it's not a really good experience as long as the TO is like reasonable as long as the store is reasonable as long as like there's like not other like factors that like you don't want to support the store for whatever reason. if you don't hit that critical mass, it's just never going to happen. And the only way to really get there is like someone's got to do it. And if, if that person can be you through because you have the resources, you have the time, you have the the needs, the means, um, I highly encourage it to be you because like not that many people
0: have that ability. And so uh, attending, yeah, go ahead. I fully agree. Uh, whenever I attend my uh, armory, I, I think I'll say like I think I've said this on the podcast before too. I view it like community service. Yeah, um yeah not it's maybe it sounds a little harsh but like yeah, no, no, i don't know what you mean i know what you mean yeah like because playing games against people with like a great skill disparity in flesh and blood since it's such a high skill cap game it's not the most enjoyable thing to do in the world but it needs to happen because like you're saying if there's not people playing at your local game store if your local game store is not carrying flesh and blood then the game's just gonna ultimately be unsuccessful in the long run. And it needs to have that grassroots support. And in Magic the Gatherings, heyday, I'm sure you can attest to this. Like Friday Night Magics, we get like 30 to 40 people. It felt like a religion.
1: Honestly. It was yeah.
0: crazy back in the yeah. day for like the peak of Magic the Gathering. And yep. like it's and I think that's kind of one of the big the saddest things about magic in today's day and age is that Arena has just forced so many people out of like their lgs's and like now most game stores friday night magics will get like the same amount as like flesh and blood armories where it's like 10 15 people because like why should i go to my local game store when i can just play magic gathering arena online in whatever it's the same thing and that's the big advantage of flesh and blood not having an online client and being so focused on the flesh and blood and i think neglecting that and not building the community up in like the flesh and blood uh is is kind of shirking a responsibility that you have to the game in some regards. I, I don't go as often as I would like. You know, I have a kid, I'm right. having I've been traveling a bunch, uh like I but I still try to make a point to like if I have the free time in a given week, then I should go play in an armory. And you get to play weird decks. Like I'll just play I played like control fly in a week. I don't know, just build something cool and have a grand old time. I think like
2: if that's like the one takeaway that like whoever's listening to this like you as a viewer take away from this is that like us guys just trying to encourage you to go to an armory and like that changes like one person's decision from like i don't really want to go to army today to actually going that would be like a personal success for me like i would feel so good about that and like if that if somehow this did change your mind i would love to hear about that and just like how your army went because um i think that like even like selfishly if you want to get better at the game i think even if it doesn't seem like you're getting better, like if you're playing either people who are like the disparity is too big, like they're much better than you or you're much better than them. I think there's still some things to be learned. And I also think that if you're like more of like a collector and kind of (laughs) are speculating on flesh and blood and you're kind of like more like a lurking person who's not really into it by playing flesh and blood, even if you're just losing and just kind of like kind of just hanging out with people, you're making your investment better. Like just that's ever so slightly more like it's an investment of time for both like collectors and players. And I think, like, I represent so many people. I work with so many retailers that they'd be stoked to hear that people want to go to armies Because, like, that's, like, the the biggest sad is, like, I know a lot of store owners who want to promote Flesh and Blood. They just can't get the players to go. And it's, like, that's, like, one of the saddest things to hear about, right? Like, um, there are people who want this game to succeed. and But it requires, like, a kind of a, a joint community effort. Obviously, there are so many reasons why people can't go. And a lot of it is financial. A lot of it is time. And I and I don't I don't want anyone to feel bad for not going. But if you have the means, you are kind of like some of the few who are the blessed proud with this opportunity. The elite with this opportunity. So try not to <laughs> try not to just give it up. It, it is a privilege to be able to be to have the time, the resources, the means to go to armories and and I, I just encourage people to like try to make one more armory this month and
0: I don't know make some friends. Yeah. Couldn't have said it any better myself. So I think I'm going to wrap it up on that note. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on the cast, Michael Fang. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on the cast, Michael Hamilton. And the (laughs) the next time you're playing Flesh of Blood at your local armory, always remember, mind your manners. We'll see you next time.